So with that introduction, and it's a frightful one, again, we, we see the spirit of this age, especially the religious spirit of this age, not serious, looking for signs and wonders, living on experience, living on, on, on you know, stories and, and philosophies, and, and feel good about yourself, you know? I just went into Fred Meyer one of the the other day, and I won't say his name. You all know if you've been in there and looked at it recently. We have a we have a, a famous guy who calls himself a pastor. He's really into this uh, "have your best life now" um, mentality. Does that ring a bell? And yeah, I was just saying now it's 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 a magazine. You know, like quarter inch, half quarter inch thick, whatever, in the, in the shape, in the size of a magazine. So if his blasphemous books weren't enough, now it's now it's the shiny teeth and everything else and say you can have your best life now. God wants you to be you and, and to experience life to the full and, and relax a little bit and 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 that we don't see that attitude with with John, the Apostle John, with, with Peter. And yet these men were so filled with joy, these men were so filled with love, these men knew the Lord. They knew Jesus Christ. They walked with him. And to know Christ is to have love emanating from your life because Paul says in Romans 5 that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So what separates somebody who really knows Christ? And who what separates somebody who really knows not only Christ, but their head is not in the sand. They know the times in which we live. They know what's out there. They have discernment. What characterizes this? Love. Self-control. Sacrificing love. Or as, as, as the King James puts it, charity, which is love in action. Love for the benefit of somebody else. Isn't that what Jesus said? Love knows nothing other than this true love that a man will lay down his life for his friends. This is where we're we're coming into this uh, part of First John, and it's interesting to me that he admonishes us. Listen, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many. False prophets have gone out into the world. And I just want to take a recap real quick. You don't have to turn there. If you want, fine. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. And I'm just saying something we haven't already heard and something we probably don't already know. 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll go through these quickly. And I hope you remember these. But there are false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now that is a strong word. To be a heretical individual is to turn, it's not like apostasy. Apostasy is when you turn away from the faith, willingly. It's a willing thing that you turn away from the faith, apostasy. Heretical is when you take the truth, and you twist it. Peter also says that, that people 
you know, Paul's things about salvation are, some, are hard to understand, but unstable and unlearned taught men will twist the scriptures in their own instruction. Heretical. They will take the truth and they will twist it. They will malign it. But listen to this. There will be false teachers who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. We're back in First John. Jesus is the Christ. We know truth from error. But listen to this. And like I said last week, and, I, and I'll say it again, and I believe this, I think that the apostle penned these words probably weeping. After he says that, he says, and many will follow their destructive ways. Many will follow their destructive ways, of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. He said, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. 1 Timothy chapter 4, like I said, you know, you don't, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. If you do, that's fine. Now the Spirit expressly says, I love that word expressly. It's urgent. It's needful. It's what God requires of a man that would follow and teach God's word. And it is also an expression that hits home to every single individual that loves Christ. You know, Jesus said this about the prince of the power of the air. He said, Satan's coming, but he has nothing in me. And Jesus said to his father in John 17, as I am no longer of the world, they are no longer of the world. We are Christ's. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God. So after Paul tells Timothy that they're going to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, he said, speaking lies in hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now I, now I just, uh, again, end with, uh, we all know the Second Corinthians passage, but I just want to read that real quick. We want to see the, the source of this. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, or doctrines of devils, King James says. In Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 13, it says, such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transform themselves in the apostles of Christ. Listen to this, verse 14. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. It's no wonder, therefore, and it's no great thing that his ministers also, his ministers, not Jesus Christ, his ministers, it's no wonder that they themselves transform themselves in the ministers of righteousness. I want to add something new to this before we, we get into to really get down to our, our teaching this morning. Paul also says in, in 2 Corinthians, if you're there, turn back there if you're not. This is very, very interesting because it is not only conductive to what we have been talking about, but this also shows 
that again, religious deception is nothing new to man. It goes all the way back to the garden. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, chapter, or verse 2. He says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you as to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Listen to this. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, we can spend days talking about this, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit from which you have not received, or a different gospel from which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You know, that's the reason why Paul wrote Galatians. And as we talked about last week a little, little bit, this is something you may or may not have known. You know, we look at, at Acts chapter 15, you know, when Paul and Silas went to the uh, elders in Jerusalem, you know, Peter, James, they were all there, and they discussed the, the period of the gospel. And there were some of the Pharisees that came there that had believed in Christ, but yet they were, they were saying, it's one thing to believe in Christ as a Messiah, yes, but you still must be circumcised and you must keep the law, and on and on. Right before that, Paul wrote Galatians to the churches. And if you read the first chapter of Galatians, he talks about warning those, watch out, there'll be those that will pervert the gospel of Christ. They mingle grace with works, and they, and they present another Jesus, which is really not another. There's only one Jesus. There's only one gospel, but there's a lot of imitations out there. And Paul was concerned because he did not want Satan to get a stronghold. You know, you know what's one thing about folks, great as he was in you and he was in the world, Satan cannot get your soul, praise God, but he can he can sure play havoc. And he can sure introduce good sounding material. Good sounding material. You know, I, I've often used this example. And at the bidding of my wife, I will tone it down. I used to be ripping about this with names and everything. But to describe what, what is going on here, we had a good-sounding president one time in the White House say a great order, one of the greatest orders of the 20th century, they say. And yet he desecrated the highest office in the land. There are good-sounding things out there that sound good and sound... But how do we know the real deal? How do we know? It's character. It's love. You know? Uh, it's, it's, we talked about last week about in, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit often is tried to be imitated, but it cannot be on a consistent basis. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know? Uh, self-control. Now what do we have here? You know, uh, Greg was telling me about last summer or whatever it was, he went down and happened to, uh, from a beckoning of a, of a family member going to a church and, and uh, where self-control was not exercised. You know, we have uh, early in the early 90s, Rodney Howard Brown bringing the laughing movement to, to uh, many churches and, and starting a precedent of 
of signs and wonders, and the more activity going on in church is, is the evidence of, of the Spirit. Well, you know, we talked about what is the role of the Spirit? Well, Jesus tells you what exactly what it is in John 15 and elsewhere. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will bear witness of me. That's the Spirit. He bears witness to Christ. He points to Christ. He leads us to Christ. He convicts us of sin so that we return to Christ. Uh, and now we see in the church a whole proliferation of, of hoopla and focusing on the Spirit and focusing on manifestation and focusing on all these things. And, and, and with it come false doctrine. You know, it's like I used to always say, it's, it's like a, a, it wasn't written with me, but I, it hit home with me. It's like a nice potato. It's, it's, it's covered with, with a thin, thin, thin layer of truth stuffed full of lies. And if you don't get through and you aren't discerning, you are going to be taken astray by this. You know, I think one of the biggest fallacies we have today is Christians saying, oh, I can't be led astray because, you know, I belong to Christ. Well, absolutely belong to Christ. But that doesn't mean that when we get our mind and our intellect and our will out of the Word of God, we are in a dangerous position. And more and more uh, people today are succumbed by, well, I don't worry about bringing your Bible. We get sermon notes. Don't, I don't, you know, don't worry about this. You don't want to urge the people to read their Bible. I was I was watching a uh, an older uh, DVD of Dave Hunt last night, and uh, I love that man, by the way, and. Uh, People were saying, I mentioned this last week, I watched it again, because people were getting down on him in this early part of ministry, and they said, what, what, who are you to expose things in the church? Who are you to denounce this? Who are you? You know, you don't have a PhD. You're not from any seminary. And he, and he politely says, no. He says, but I'm a brand. And I have had my, I've been studying the Word of God on my knees for many years, and that's what the brands did. They, they went and they heard the Apostle Paul but yet they eagerly went back and they searched the scriptures to see if what he was saying is true. He says that is our duty and our privilege. Every one of us. Not a pastor, not, you know, every one of us. So, so whoever you hear, whether it's me, whether it's, it's anybody, we are admonished to, to listen to the word of God, but yet to go back and search the scriptures to see if these things are really so. Oh, well, he's just a fanatic. He's just warning. He's constantly warning about, you know, uh, other things, you know. And, and I've had somebody that has, hasn't been here for a while tell me the exact same things. You're too, you're too serious. You're too, you know, you're constantly warning things about the end days, you know, scenario, what this professing church is doing. You're, it, you know, it's not me. It's not, it didn't come from me. I'm just echoing what I see in the Word of God. And I feel what the Lord is, is saying in His Word. You can't. How can you read the words of Paul in 2 Timothy? How can you read the words of John in his epistles? How can you read Peter, especially in, in, in 1 and 2 Peter, where he admonishes 1 Peter 1 7, or 4, 7, by the way. The end of all things is at the hand. Be serious and devote yourselves to prayer. How can you read these things and not be cognizant of what's going on? 
And yet, I have joy. <laughs> uh, and I could boast of that because it's not joy that I've conquered up. It's not something that I've, you know, I've made up. It's something that the Lord has given to me. And he's given to a lot of you, too. See it in your faces. You know? Love is not going around with it, like a friend of mine says, with a Vanna White smile on your face all the time. Joy is that inner gladness that is welling up from, from the God of this universe who has given you life. And it's the joy, it's, again, it's that inner gladness that springs without cause. It's devoid of circumstances. It's because you have the God of the universe residing within us by the Holy Spirit. And that is an amazing fact. So don't believe, beloved, every spirit, but test them. How do we test them? The Word of God. The genuity of things that, that come across the airwaves. My wife was just telling me the other day that she had heard that uh, this pastor over... You know, that's one thing about Big Area down there, like I was telling Greg the other day. The proliferation of, of, of Christian radio is tremendous. She was flipping around and trying to find what I heard this pastor say that that the Christian life is is all about seasons, and if you don't if you don't understand the seasons, but what he didn't do if if that if you were meaning something, he didn't explain what he was meaning. Test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know, Jesus in Matthew seven fifteen, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Matthew twenty four, they came to him and, and uh, you know what's interesting about that is 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 the temple was supposedly built for him. For his glory, for, for him. And then he tells them in Matthew 24, he says, uh, you know, they came out and they said, oh, look at this. Wow, these are great. And, and no doubt they were, they were sincere. Because the temple was built for the Lord. It was supposed to reflect his glory. It was supposed to be built for him. And he says, amazing thing. He said, you know, these, not one stone will be upon another. I'll be thrown down. You must have really got their attention. In other words, Jesus was not impressed with man's religion. They were not impressed with what they had done. You know, look at the two times. You know, he went into the temple cleansing twice, but we know in his ministry. When he went into the temple and, and he cleared them away, why did he clear them away? Because men were making merchandise of his house. They were making monetary gain. What do we read in what Peter says in the last day, false teachers will be among you, will bring into destruction heresies, which will by covetousness, Speak things, and and, and uh, he drove them all away. And he said, "My house will be a house of prayer, and you've turned them into a house of thieves." So he wasn't impressed. and must have really got their attention. And then he said, "They asked him three things." As they sat on the Mount of Olives, I came to him. They privately and uh, privately came to him, and they said, "Tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age?" What's the first thing? That he said. You know, we have today, people are clamoring about earthquakes and this and that, you know, and all these other things, wars and rumors of wars. And, 
But what does he say first? And I'm just laying a precedent on the seriousness of what all these apostles have taught and, and about when they were ready to leave. First John was written in the latter part of the first century. But the first thing he said, if, if you're mulling around in your mind and you don't really know, let me refresh your memory. Let no one deceive you. That was his number one answer to what was going on and what, the, what was going to permeate this age. Whether you like it or not, you can argue with me all you want. I really don't care. Your argument is with, is if you don't like the things that we hear necessarily, we need to ask why we don't like them. Why does it bother us? Why do I get upset when I hear constantly somebody talk about the end times or constantly talk about the deceivableness of, of these false teachers, these false prophets? You must ask yourself, why does it bother me? And go to the Word of God to really see if those things are so. That's what I had to do. Now, I was always a conflict avoider. You know? I still am. I don't like conflict. But I know if somebody wrote something in, the, in, the new, in the, a newspaper uh, degrading my wife... Am I just going to be tolerant and not want to avoid a conflict and just allow falsity and, and everything to go out about my life? This is our blessed Lord. This is His Word. Jesus died to fulfill His Word. I think we need to understand something that the times are coming and they are here when false teachers, false doctrine, false shepherd, wolves in sheep's clothing, we go on and on and on, are out there in a big way. So many false prophets have gone out of the world. This is the first century, by the way, folks. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. You know, there's a lot of people, let me read verse 3 and we'll get. We'll just make a mention of this. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That's strong language. That's language that Jesus used in Luke 14 when he said that you eat three times. You can't do this, this, and you cannot be my disciple. That's strong language. John here is saying that, hey, I'll tell you what a spirit of Antichrist is coming that everyone that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Well, wait a minute. Does that mean that, that um, there's a lot of people that confess that Jesus was a historical man? Yes, he was an historical man. He, he was born in this world. He was a historical man. It is proved that he was nailed to a Roman cross. He was saved by over 500 brethren at once. It was proved, documentation. We can prove that, uh, as Simon Greenleaf says, that, that there is no more evidence that he has ever seen than for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what they'll say to you, they'll deny that he was God. They'll deny that Jesus of Nazareth was born of a virgin. If he wasn't born of a virgin, he could not be the sinless Son of God, the Savior of the world. So that is very important. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. 
I will go toe-to-toe with anybody because on that because that's what the Scripture says. And if we see the thread of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, that has to be so. If Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, he is not the Son of God, he is not the sinless Savior. Because we see in Luke that the, he, when Mary said, how could this be? Not questioning God, in wonderment she was, how could this be? The angel explained to her, this thing... The holy thing within you will be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. He will be called what? The Son of the Living God. So, very, very deceptive. Remember spiritual deception? Oh, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but what Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Or do you believe that Jesus, that man, is conquered up? Absolutely, uh, we need to understand that. I love what John said in his next letter, John, Second uh, John 7. He says, For many deceivers have gone out in the world. Those who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh is a deceiver and an antichrist. Paving the way, stone by stone, century by century, millennium by millennium, for this one that's going to come. I'm going to be the ultimate denier of Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. He says again in verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. He's saying not that this is the Antichrist. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now already is in the world. What's already in the world? The spirit has been pervading this Christian church for 1900 years and is getting worse and worse and worse. I want to read something again before we get into, into verse 4 that we read. And, and, I, and I, boring you is the last thing on my mind. Um, but I think this is, this is the Word of God. In Revelation 12, remember how we read this last week? And I just want to read it again real quick. How the, there was a war in heaven. I'll just read it. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought. And by the way, let me me preface this. There's a growing uh, sect of people called preterists now that believe that all this was fulfilled. Okay? That they they say that, uh, they claim that Revelation was written at an early date and all things was fulfilled in, in AD 70 and so forth. In other words, they don't take this revelation, this book of Revelation, as a prophetic view of what's going to happen. We need to understand that as signs of the times. I just thought I'd add that. But he said, so, that, so Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and they fought. But they, Satan and his angels, did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. I'm in Revelation 12, uh, 9 now. He was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God. Day and night has been cast down. But look at verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. 
Now, think about that. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by His testimony. John is telling you here that every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ is not of God. We see the devil and his angels. We just read in 2 Corinthians and, and other passages where this deception is coming from. We overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb has to be the Son of God. The blood of the Lamb has to be God and man. The blood of the Lamb had to resurrect bodily in the same body was crucified and so forth. It makes a difference what Jesus we believe in and what Jesus we are, we are uh, confessing. Because the spiritual deception out there says, yeah, you know, we believe in Jesus. Well, was Jesus born of a virgin? Well, I don't know, man. I'm a pretty logical man, and I, I got a Ph.D., and, I, and I've been there and there. I just can't swallow that one. You are believing in, and or preaching a different Jesus, not the one of the Bible. This is the spirit of Antichrist. We've heard what's coming now already is in the world. The spirit is pervading, and folks, it is all over the place. But he says in verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Think about that. We've overcome. And John will have a little bit more to say about that as we go on. But Little children, I love that. Little children, this epistle is written to Christians, to born ones, to dear ones who've been born from above. Little children, what tender language. You've overcome them. Because greater is he who's in the world is in you than he who's in the world. Now, uh, you know, we can learn a lot from, uh, from Romans chapter 8. Regarding this, you know, previously in this previous chapter, in chapter 3 of 1 John, we talked about the fact that uh, the child of God cannot go on continually sinning, okay, as a lifestyle because he's been, you know, born of God and see reigns him and so forth. Listen to this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Now to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because a carnal mind is enmity against God, it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So remember that the scripture says that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh. Mind cannot be with God, it's enmity against God. It's not even subject to the law, it can't be. So it's in verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But listen to what the listen to this words of encouragement. Chapter 8 of Romans, verse 9, Paul says this, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we understand that you cannot be a Christian without the Spirit of Christ in you. And Paul, what Paul's saying here is that the true man, who there is no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus, for what the law could not do, in other words, make us right before God, 
God did by sending his son in the likeness of simple flesh and so on and so forth. And now we get back into 1 John and, and we're talking about greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We're little children. Absolutely wonderful. In fact, if you flip over to chapter 5, this over says, whoever is born of chapter 5, verse 4, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I am not, we are overcomers. The faith is ours for the taking. Do we always take it? Well, you look at the Old Testament. We were in the book of Joshua on Wednesday nights. You see how uh, crossing the Jordan. It was overflowing. It was harvest season. It was deep. There was no no fords. There was no ferries. There were no nothing to take them over. They had to go simply on the word of God. He says, you are going to go over. I have this land for you. You're taking. And what happened? They went over. Jericho. Remember, we were just talking about Jericho. High fortified walls. There was no way. They, God said, you will take Jericho. They believed him, did what God said, and they took Jericho. As we got on and we finished, I think it was chapter 8, we, you know, AI, you know, God said that you, you know, will take these people. God told them how to do it. They specifically did that. They took a, I mean, we could just go from time after time after time after time. The victory was theirs. It was promised them. They had victory. They were just to take it, to receive it. You know, we need to know. That's why Paul says in Romans 6 and elsewhere, Know ye not. You've died with Christ. Don't you know these things, to to understand these things, to get into the Word of God, to let it get into us. We are overcomers because greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. Look at verse 5. Well, actually, let's let's talk a little about this. I have a a few uh, things to read about this. You know the the word overcome simply means to gain the victory? That's what it means. Literally, to gain the victory. You know, when temptation comes our way, we've talked about temptation before. Um, Temptation is not sin, it's what we do with it. Jesus was tempted. But we make the decision now to, when temptation comes, we're victorious in Jesus Christ, and and we're not going to have a part of that. There's a story, I have it written down here. That was quite, this is just condensed. So there's a story of a little girl who said that sometimes Satan would knock at her door with the temptation. But she would say, Lord Jesus, will you please answer the door? (laughs) Satan can never stand against Christ. Never. We are promised the victory. Victory has been won. The battle has been won. Praise the Lord. Or excuse me, the war has been won. Praise God. We're going to be with him. But how many battles do we struggle with because we don't understand that we are overcomers? And he's going to explain as we go down that love is the conquering truth. You know, there was a, there was a, uh, a saying in a movie that, that we like, and it says, and the guy was trying to explain about love and about faith in Christ, especially about love. And this kid was going through a divorce, and he said, son, he said, 
You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have the love of Jesus Christ within you, you can do everything you can try to do, but you, you will never love as a fruit and as a witness. I want to read you something here. Christ, the eternal Son of God, who came in the flesh, lived on the earth, was crucified, buried, rose again, is at the right hand of God, who now lives in us, is the formula for victory. When trials come, remember this assurance. Victory has been provided for you. It is necessary only that you accept it. That was a quote from Theodore Epp, by the way. He was the founder of Back to the Bible Ministry, which for 75 years has been speaking the word of truth. Wow. Great is he who is in you and he who is in the world. I love that when Jesus again said that about Satan, Prince of the world cometh and he has nothing in me. How much more intimate can you get than John 17 with the son talking to his father? You read it in there. He tells his father that they are no longer of the world because I'm not of the world. It is absolute identification. You know, when we are Christians, we're not just somebody that has a badge, you know, that goes around and says, yeah, I'm a Christian. We are a new creation in Christ. And, and in this day... As it goes on, people are, you know, the Christian church and Christ himself is ridiculed because people act like blundering idiots that go around and they put the cart before the horse. They want to live the Christian life, whether how sincere or not they are. That's not for me to judge. But what they don't have is the spirit of Christ in them, and they have not received the victory that Christ has, has won for them at the cross. You know, one thing about... Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he not only broke the power of sin, he broke the ruling power of influence in your life. You know, like I said, we read Romans chapter 7 and we see the struggle there. You know, a lot of people don't understand that struggle. We've talked about this for years. But then we get up to that point, the Holy Spirit, Paul mentioned him once. And that was in uh, Romans 5.5. 5. But when we get over to the 8th chapter of Romans, we see he's mentioned 19 times. And it's all related to the victory you have. There's no condemnation of Christ. And, and now, you know, Paul was or the, the one that, that doesn't understand this. is living in defeat. He's constantly going down. He's doing the things he doesn't want to do. And the things he does want to do, he doesn't. But now all of a sudden, the understanding that Christ has gained the victory we overcome by, the, by faith in him and the blood of the Lamb and the Spirit takes up the life. And now we're victorious in Christ. So what's wrong? What's the problem here? They are of the world, verse 5. Therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, verse 6. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's pretty pretty blatant. Let me read you something from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. I know some of you are probably going to know exactly where he's going on this one. 
a great chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read the first four verses. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Think of verse 2. Preach the word. I think Greg talked about this a little bit earlier. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Whoa, wait a minute. That doesn't sound very tolerant to me. You know, that doesn't sound like, like, well, we should all, you know, we shouldn't get down on things. And it's not that we get down on things. We speak for the truth. When we see falsity comes, we stand up for it. Wouldn't you do that with your kids? I can guarantee you, any one of you has kids, that they, they're going to new fellowship or whatever, and all of a sudden, Dad, Dad, I heard this and all that. And, you, you know, oh, gee, I don't want to upset them. I don't want to sound so negative, and I don't want to sound so down. And by the way, they're so happy they found a great fellowship. Are you serious? If they come to you and say, Dad, you know, I heard this and this and this, and it's wrong, you are going to correct them, or else you are not a good overseer. This is preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Think of verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Okay? John says, hey, they they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. There's going to come a time when they're not going to endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they're going to heap to themselves teachers, They want it. They're going to have teachers that they're going to say exactly what they want them to say. We don't want to hear about the sin stuff. We don't want to hear about this judgment stuff. We don't want to hear about Christ or it's Christ or judgment. We don't want to hear about any of that. We want to know how religion can build me up, how religion can fit my lifestyle, how I can live as I choose and still go to heaven. Think about that. And you don't think that's the truth? You you research these people like Joel Olston. I'm sorry, but he is leading millions astray. And should we just sit here? Uh, that's not what the word says. We need to rebuke, we need to exhort, to teach, because that time will come, and it is here, that they will heap themselves. Teachers, because their ears itch, man. They gotta get them scratched somehow, and they're gonna they're gonna do people that just know the right thing to say. Look at verse four, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables. But he admonishes Timothy, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Paul says, verse six, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. He says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Tolerance of other deceitful doctrines of devils and demons is nowhere to be lodged within the Christian mind. Nowhere. We are to contend for the truth. To know the truth. 
Jesus said you will know it and it will set you free. I warned you last, a couple weeks ago when we got in this in this chapter it would be a while, but you know, all the, there's a precedent set here. Jesus warned of deception. He warned of these things. The prophets warned of these things. That's what that's what we see when we study the prophets. But also what Peter said, there were false prophets back then because they want they want to tell you, you know, that's when they when they persecuted Jeremiah. Hey. We want peace. We want safety. This guy is talking about judgment. You know? You don't want that. Then we have the, the Lord Jesus Christ set the precedent. We have all his apostles, his inspired writings that his apostles laid down warning of these things because of love. And I'll tell you what, I think that's the that is the one thing that people mix. They think, oh, wow, you're so judgmental, you're so harsh, you're so negative. Well, number one, is there joy permeating in your life? And why do you do it in the first place? Why do you discipline your kids? Hopefully out of love. Why do you correct them when they go astray? Because you love them. Love does rock the boat. And that's what these... That's what God is doing right now because God is so wonderful. He's so full of love that he warns us. Wow. Beloved, verse 7. I'm done here in a few minutes. Let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That is a very stinging sentence to those who want to dispute the fact that we have to love. We have to be of love. Oh, you know, they love God. And yet they, they lie and they cheat. They go out on their wife and they say all kinds of things. And they, they have nothing that claims indifferent. And you know... I'm talking about, to me, as well. You know? The Bible says that the one who teaches gets taught the most. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, we read, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, love, I am become a sounding brass or clean cymbal. Such ability to influence people amounts to nothing with God if love is not present. Verse 2 of that chapter says that though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. You know, according to these, these verses, brethren, a, brother, a believer may be very active in Christian service, in the church, or whatever, but if love is not the motivating force in his life, he is missing the very thing that will bring him spiritual maturity. The very thing that will bring him to a more and more closer stature with, with Christ as far as intimacy, he is missing the very thing. And that thing is love. God is love. Verse 8, again. 
He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You know, he says in verse 7 that to, to let us love one another. For love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Or say it again, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. These, I believe in my own life I have not ever found a more satisfactory definition, theological explanation of these verses. They speak for themselves. I can tell all kinds of things. How can I speak other than what the scripture plainly says? Verse 8 again, he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. It says in verse 9, in this, in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Think of verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And how do you love us? He sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. One of the greatest verses, I, I think, that could be anywhere to show that God meant what he said and said what he meant is in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to this wonderful declaration. God demonstrates his love towards us. I love that. I want to see action. I don't want to see words. That's one thing I loved about my father. Man, a few words, but everything he did, he demonstrated. And I, I love that. I want that in my own life. Don't tell me something unless you're going to do it. You know, it's not like God somewhere had a big thing in the sky said, God, I love you, God. And then just left the world alone. No, but God demonstrated the fact that how much he loved us. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and why we were still, or the King James says, why we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. There is one reason, one reason alone, Jesus Christ came to this earth, and that was to atone for sin, to bring man back to God. That is it. And any other false prophet will tell you anything else. He came to be a good teacher. We talked about this before. He came to be a good teacher, although he was. He came to bring morals, although he did. He came to being a good example. All we've got to do is get back to the golden rule, and Jesus showed us how to do it. That is false doctrine. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and Paul says, I'm chief. The great apostle Paul, oh yeah, the more we know about Christ and the more we study his word, the more we realize what we've been saved from. Remember? I think it's in Luke 12 or Luke, Luke 8, somewhere around there. Remember the, my favorite story, the prostitute that came into to Jesus. Jesus was invited, you know, to the religious leader's home for lunch. And, and uh, this lady comes in there and they were all aghast, you know, and, and she was constantly weeping and, and washing his feet. Remember that story? That says it all, folks. They're all, if this man was really prophet, you know who that was. Simon, I got something to say to you. You know, say I'm a teacher because he was important, right? The master wants to talk to me. So he gave him the story about debt. One owed a small debt, the other owed a big debt. And both of them, Master, forgave both of them. Which is going to love them more? Well, obviously, the one that, that you know, that forgave the, the Master full amount of debt. And he says, you know what? You see this? I know who she is. We all do. So Jeff Grant paraphrased. She loves much because she is common. She understands she's been forgiven 
a boatload of sin. And by that very nature, she loves much. Ah, love. There we go. So back in 1 John 4.10, and again, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And I will end at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Propitiation. Talked about that before. It was a propitiated sacrifice. What that means is that he laid down a sacrifice, the only sacrifice that God will accept on your and mine's behalf. There is only one way to God. There is only one sacrifice that will get us there. And Jesus Christ laid it down and paid it to the full. And God was pleased that Christ died in your place by raising him from the dead. And by believing in that, you are born from above. Your sins are forgiven you. We overcame them by the blood of the Lamb. By that very nature, we are born again by the very love that God had for me by sending Christ in my place. That love is now residing within me. <laughs> How can we tell the difference between one who knows God and one who doesn't. How can we have a surety in our hearts that we're born again? The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does the Spirit always do? Point us to Christ. Point us to Christ. Jesus said he loved his own and he loved them to the end. Wow. God always has his remnant, his body. And they will walk in, in love. And I believe that there's been so much ridicule of the Christian church uh, in the, the, well, you know, as I've said before, you know, I've been a Christian for a while. Just in the three decades that I've known Christ, I've seen such a, a shift in things. You know, once that was things that were solid, now aren't solid, you know. Uh, churches that used to be known for their uh, their faith and their standing on the rock are now being shifted and now don't teach the things they used to. But that's no cause for alarm for us, for you and I, because we know that God, we are safe in Him. We don't want that Elijah syndrome, you know, where he goes into the cave and he says, man, I, I'm alone that's left. That's now. I have, you know, reserved for me those that have not bowed the knee to anything else. So, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I'll end with this statement Jesus said in John 10 10. The thief only comes to kill still, and destroy. But I have come that you might not only have life, but that you might have it abundantly, joyously. The one that knows Christ may sound alarming, may be watching on the wall. You read about, uh, you know, Jeremiah, especially Ezekiel. They sent him as a watchman on the wall. And God said, you know, if, if you see that, we see Ezekiel chapter 3 and verses 33, or chapter 33 and elsewhere, 
You know, if you see that, if you hear the sound of the trumpet, the warning, and you give faithful warning, and men turn, great. If they don't turn, the blood's on their own hands. But if you hear the warning, or you see the warning, and you hear the trumpet, and you don't warn them, their blood is on your head. And we don't have time to turn there because I said we were done. But you look in Acts chapter 20, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian elders. He says, I've taught, taught you nothing but things that will be proffered you. I am innocent of the blood of all men. And that is what he means there. He's innocent of the blood of all men. He's heard the trumpet. He sees the, the, the thing come, the judgment coming and the warning coming. And he is sound. He pleaded day and night for three years with tears. The whole counsel of God. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. And yet, we know Paul was, was, well, he wrote Philippians, and some call that the epistle of joy. But, but did that guy have joy? Absolutely. Did Peter have joy? Absolutely. He wrote about the joy inexpressible and full of glory. Did John have joy? Oh, yeah. It was serious. And then I, I promise you I will end with this. One of my favorite sayings or writings of Peter's writing. But the end, this is 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be silly. Hey, and therefore, party with Jesus. No. He says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful unto prayers. But how does he close that? Listen to this next verse. But above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Brethren, there's more to this Christian life than just knowing doctrine and it's knowing Him. And it's understanding that He is so desirous to make Himself known. That's how John opens up his first epistle about fellowship. You have seen and heard and declared to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. He said, these things we write to you that, so that your joy may be full. We need to be serious about these times and about what we say and what we do. Pray, please. Lord God, we thank you for your word that you've spoken today. We want to be serious and, and know you, Lord. And we ask that you, you reveal yourselves through the, the word. And we ask that we, you put it in our hearts for us to get in the word every day. Not just at Bible study or at church, Lord. 
but have fellowship with you every single day. Only as a Jew. Go before us throughout our week, throughout our day, and prepare the way for us, Lord. And give us the will to do your will. In the name of Jesus' name. Amen. Of this. He's describing a man who's been born again that as he goes to the Oriental bathhouse and says he takes a bath, he's cleansed from all unrighteousness, and yet when he's walking back to the house, his feet will acquire defilement, and this washes feet. But he himself is clean from all that the law could say or accuse him. And it's beautiful, because that's what we are. And when we have defilement, we confess our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's wise, he's just, because he took the condemnation himself. He fulfilled every bit of the law for you and I. And he also took the condemnation and the judgment for the breaking of that law for you and I, so he's just. Listen to these words. If we confess our sins, our defilement, he is faithful and just, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Keep on sinning. Wow. We can't, because we've been born of God. Nor do you need to. You know? That's what separates biblical Christianity from all the other religions in the world. And I only say religion as far as Christianity is just by means of comparison. By no means does the Bible talk favorably about religion. Religion is always the outward show. We as baptism and one baptized in the body, we show the world what has already happened and taken place on the inside. That's the meaning of baptism. So when you go baptize in the river wherever you get, you show the world, when I was baptized in Corleone Bay in North Lake Tahoe, I was signifying to the world and to my parents, something has happened to me. I believe this gospel. I believe this word of God. My sins have been, I've been forgiven. That Jesus Christ is now my Lord. I'm not my Lord anymore. I walked to a different drumbeat, and that's to him. And I've never looked back. And I'm thankful I haven't. Because Paul says that, you know, you can run a race. And if you run it in such a way, there's a, there's a reward. and There's a crown waiting for you. And I want that crown. And I want that reward. I want to see my Lord. I'm expecting to see him. I want to see him. I can't wait to see him. Because I know that when I see him, I will be with him forever. I just want to end these verses probably for my own sake. Because right now, folks, I think that is a time for comfort. I think that, you know, you can read these verses and you can look at sin so much you can tend to get, uh, feel like you've getting pummeled with things. And it's not the fact that we pummel because somebody's life might not be as righteous as mine. But we admonish these things so that we might see that the Lord desires that we have nothing in the way of Him. You know? We even say it in our wedding vows. You forsake all others. You know, I remember talking, you know, we did Jen and Joe's wedding. You know, you, are you willing to forsake all others? Okay. What does that mean? Well, there's not too many. There's, there are people out there, but there, most people don't actually commit the physical adultery maybe on their wife, but they sure do in so many other ways. And if that's true in the physical realm of 
of relationships down here, it's more, it's more uh, abundant with our Christian life. There are so many things. The devil and everything is clamoring for our attention. The flesh wears its ugly head when you don't think it will. The moment you think you've got everything under control, here it comes. Look out. The moment you think you've been having a pretty good day, man, and you've talked to a couple people about Christ, one might have given his life for Christ, and you're relishing in the, in the glow of it, watch out. You know, let's make up our mind now. So when it comes, you're dealing with it. I am my beloved's, and my beloved's mine. That's, that's my wife and I's verse out of uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 7. But listen to this. I'll leave you with the, with the first six verses of, of the discourse in John 14. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many rooms, or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. He's going and preparing a place for you, for me, individually. You know, as a corporate part of his body, he loves you. He's going to tailor this for you. I believe this with all my heart. Because my God's like that. He loves us individually. He's tailoring a place for you, exactly what you want. You know, people down here, they want to find the perfect house. And, you know, I mean, we've been selling our house for almost a year now. I know. I mean, for all kinds of things. Oh, you know, it's great, but we want this. Oh, it's great. He is tailoring something, I believe, with all my heart, that is going to just dazzle us for eternity. I can't wait to see that. He loves you. And, and we flirt with sin? In my Father's house, are, again, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you with Him. And we're going we're gonna to forsake that in sin? We're going to forsake that and, and entertain uh, pride and, and, and everything else? Is it tough? Hey, did anybody say the Christian life was going to be easy? Paul says, I die daily. So he's going to go prepare this fantastic place. You know, I don't have to worry about, well, hey, you know, is it going to be something I want? It will be exactly what I was designed to love and to dwell in, because that's who God is. And if I go and prepare a place for you again, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know, and where I, I go, you know, the way you know. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where the way you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus takes it from the material to the spiritual. Life. Life is not this. Life is Him. We don't know where you're going to go. Leave us a map or something. You know, let us know. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. 
12. Lord, um, the Lord has shown me the last, well, when I really understood where we're going, and the time is short for, for us here, but I love you guys, and that's my heart. That's the heart of the Lord, and I, I, I would be, you know, I used to tell my sons, if you don't tell somebody the truth, you're not really being a truthful friend to them. And there's so much more to this life than just what meets the eye. You know, they say that those that are suffer great loss, suffer problems in their life. I mean, uh, we've all had tragedy, death, uh, whatever. That those who, who, who stick to the Lord and allow Him to take them through them find an intimacy with Him that most people don't. But we also understand the Bible talks about those that give up their life, that give up what they, they don't need, and they grab what they cannot afford to lose. There's an intimacy and a joy there that the Bible talks about that few nowadays know about, few as far as the masses go. And that's what we want. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word. And Lord, but I, I thank you for the Lord of the word. It so eloquently points to who you are and your character. Father, I pray that if there are those listening that have not surrendered everything, intellect, pride, um, whatever to you, that they would do it. Because it, nobody needs to be taught. It's the Spirit that teaches us to abide in Christ. I pray that would be their lot, because what is it worth if man gains a whole world and that you know, loses? What is a gain? If we have 20 more days left and we, we live it half-heartedly, I pray that we would... We would we would consider and accept nothing less than excellency. Nothing less than the Word of God operating in our life. Again, I thank you for this day, and I pray that you would go with us as we go, and give us joy that our joy might be full. Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.